one of the most difficult things for a preacher to do is to follow the pastor in the mode or in the methods that he uses to preach. Um, I, I'm reminded of a story that a seminary professor told us. It was an old man in a church, a, a very traditional church, had all the chairs up on the pulpit area, and this man was a deacon, had been a deacon for a long, long time. And one day he, he confided to his pastor, he said, you know, brother pastor, he says, before I die, I'd really like to preach just one sermon. Well, it wasn't long. One Saturday night, the pastor came down with a sore throat, so he called the old brother deacon, and he said, you're on stage tomorrow morning. <laughs> so everything went fine. The man preached, preached a tremendous sermon, about an hour and 15 minutes, <laughs> sat down, and died. So you will see this morning that my outline does not match Jimmy's real well on purpose. You see, I, I don't want to emulate him. Nobody can. He is Jimmy, and uh, he's a wonderful pastor. He's a great preacher and an excellent teacher of the Word of God. So with that said, you know, over the last several weeks, Jimmy has preached about heaven. And, and you know, being saved, it, it was real easy to sit there and and to glean everything that we could glean from that. And from his preaching and his teaching about heaven, you know, I, I can understand just a little bit more about the unimaginable riches of heaven. It would have been good for me if he'd just stopped there, but no, he had to go on into hell. <laughs> I'll, I'll preach about hell. Um, What I have determined from that is I'm sure glad I ain't going there. <laughs> but you know, because I, I am a preacher, because I am a pastor, because I am a teacher, but primarily because I'm a born-again Christian, I now know that I have a, a responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had that more so now than ever before to share the gospel with those who I believe are lost and dying and on their way to hell. So now today, after all those wonderful sermons about heaven and about hell, we find ourselves here. And I pray that everybody in here is going to heaven. That's, that is my prayer. But there might be some in here that has never made the decision to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So we're in between heaven and we're in between hell this morning. And you know, there's a great reality there. And that reality is, is that there's a great spiritual war going on. And it's going on for those who are lost and dying and going to hell, as well as those of us who are saved and going to heaven. And Satan, Satan desires to rob us of all these spiritual blessings, mercy, peace, and love. 
And the question always remains. Every morning when I get out of bed, this, this same question is, how do I remain victorious today? How do, how do I? And when I say I, I'm talking about you also. How do we remain victorious? How do we remain good witnesses for Lord Jesus Christ? How do we keep our heads above the water? How do we continue to smile and be happy and cheerful in spite of all the charging hordes of hell that are against us? Now, if I come on a little bit too strong about these things, and if it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, then you might have to do what Jude tells us to do. And I'd direct your attention to the little letter of Jude. Go to Revelation and back up one little letter. Jude. Jude was written near A.D. 68. In here it's recorded that his name is Jude. In Matthew he's addressed as Judah or Judas. Which means he shall be praised. Let's look at the word of God together. Beginning reading in verse 1 through verse 3. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, this, this next verse is very critical to us today. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Would you pray with me? Father God in heaven, we ask for your blessings upon this, the written word. We ask for your Holy Spirit to live in it once again and to make it the living word for us today. And we'll be sure to thank you. We'll be sure to praise you. We'll be sure to honor you for all that you do and for who you are. Amen. Jude begins his very short letter saying that he is sanctified, that he's blessed, that he's the servant of Jesus Christ. And then he says, I'm writing this to those of you who are sanctified, called by God, preserved in Jesus Christ. There's one thing that Jude leaves out here, and that is that He's the little brother to Jesus Christ. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you in here have a big brother? All right. Thank you. By a show of hands, how many of you in here are the big brother? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. You know, 
I have a big brother. Um, he's about four and a half years older than I am, and he's always been that, and I can't catch him. And I love to remind him of that nowadays. And you know, big brothers, regardless of the fact that they might want to be, or even that they might understand that they are, they are mentors. They show us the way. Well, I know growing up behind my big brother, and, and he turned out to be a Florida State Highway Patrolman. He was the white sheep, and you can guess who the black sheep was. So I had a mentor. He gave me my very first baseball glove. I don't think he knew. I certainly didn't know how, how, how much of an impact that would have on my early life. Because until I got saved, I thought if it rained and it rained out my softball or baseball game, it was a sin. I lived for baseball and softball. My brother pulled me out of some fights which I should not have been in and pushed me into some that I should have been in. He showed me a lot of shortcuts and things. He taught me a lot. And one thing that he taught me by example was that there are certain things that there are no shortcuts to. I find that out to be true a lot of times when I'm driving. But just pause for a moment. Can you visualize Jude following Jesus around? Jesus. Why don't you show me how to make a good plow handle? Well, after all, they were carpenters. Jesus says to Jude, Go ask your father. He taught me. Jude replies, I did, and he told me to come back and talk to you. You see, there are no shortcuts. If there were a shortcut to this thing called living a Christian life, if there were, if there were a shortcut to following Jesus, I really believe Jude would have known about it. It's amazing to me that he just simply wanted to be known as a servant of Jesus Christ and not known to be his brother. And in so doing, I really believe Jude is saying to us, Everyone must know Jesus as his Savior. You see, there are no shortcuts. Jude exhorts the readers to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to all the saints. What is this faith? It was delivered once for all the saints. And I submit to you today that if you're saved, you're a saint. Now, you might not always act that way. Neither do I. 
But if we have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and all those sins washed away from us and cast into the sea of forgetfulness, then we are saints. Not by my definition, but by the definition found in the Word of God. Jude tells us that if we want mercy, peace, and love, we must contend for the faith that was once delivered unto all the saints. Now, what does this word contend mean? So often I believe that we interpret that and we read it as be content. <laughs> no, it does not mean to be content. Last night, I'm going to give you a good example of what content really means. Last night, I was trying to, uh, to uh, move music from a cassette tape to a CD. And after about three hours of failure, I said to myself, Boy, I wish I knew where the manual was. You see, I'd been content for a long time to just memorize everything. Well, it doesn't work. Contend for your faith. Now, what was the word? What does the word contend mean? It means to hold on to your faith as a fact. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me share a word of scripture with you. It comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And then Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. One phrase out of that scripture that I want to bring back to you. Whoever humbles himself like this child. Do you know the base meaning of the word humble? Webster defines it like this. Taking at face value. Now, let me give you a little illustration about children taking things at face value. I learned a long time ago not to stand in front of the door and ask children if they'd like to go get ice cream. Because suddenly you're being trampled by by all the children because you said you want to go get ice cream. You see, they take it at face value. Now, you might have meant next week, but they have just taken it at face value. And that's what we need to do with our faith. We need to take it at face value. We need to take it as a fact because it is a fact. Our scripture, the word of God, Jesus himself promises us several things. Just a few of them. Eternal security. Do you take that as a fact? Do you live on that? I do. I firmly believe once saved always saved. And Satan might connive around and trick and beguile me and get me to say a word I shouldn't say, especially if a driver pulls out in front of me. Or he might get me to to look at something that I should not be looking at, especially if 
the website I'm looking at is not, you, you know what I'm saying? But praise be to God, because I'm saved, I'm always saved. Now, when I do things intentionally, when I do get mad at that driver, then I need to ask God to receive my thanksgiving for having saved me and, and for his eternal forgiveness for what I've just done. That's just one promise. Let me tell you about another one. Fellowship with Jesus and all the believers. Man, I couldn't wait to get here this morning. Not so that I could preach or teach, but so that I could be with a fellowship of believers. Now, Sandy and I enjoy that day in, day out, 24-7, 365, hopefully for the next 400 years. But it's good to get out and get with other people who believe in Jesus Christ, who walk according to His Spirit and to the Word of God. That's just another promise. Love. It's good to be loved. It's good to be loved by God. It's good to be loved by Jesus Christ. It's good to have the love of God touching you by the Holy Spirit. Contend for the faith. Hold on to it as a fact. How about answered prayer? Wow. And yes, God doesn't always answer my prayers the way I want them. Does he answer all your prayers the way that you want your prayers to be answered? No, he doesn't, does he? But he answers our prayers. How about an abundance in all things? Sandy's saying, thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. You know, and I promised the Lord sitting over there I wouldn't try to quote this, but I'm going to have to anyhow. Won't be the first time I've broken my promise to the Lord. You know, she sang this little phrase that said, I thank you for the shoes on my feet. I read a statement one time where a man was complaining about the shoes that he had to wear until he saw a man that had no feet. Thank you, Lord, for the shoes that's on my feet. Thank you, Lord, for the roof that's above me. You see, God has given us a hundred million zillion promises, and we need to hold on to them. They are a fact. Jude says to contend for your faith because the world is competing for you. Direct your attention to James chapter 1 verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless is this, as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, the world is competing for you. In 1977, I was given the choice to join this elite circle of men at work. I think, and I do know, that their only desire was to obey completely the commands of our director. 
They were evil commands. They were evil designs that the director had. And he had those so that all competition would be removed. I'd seen many good, dedicated employees terminated without reason. And I knew if I refused to join this team, I would also be terminated. And on September the 30th, I was asked to resign. You see, the world wants you. The world. The world can be identified by, I'll do it my way. It can be identified by their ethics and their morality. And all of that's designed or identified or defined by their selfish motives and lust. The world is good in the use of double standards. Misery loves company, they say. So the world competes for you. The world would offer you fame and fortune. But I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have the treasures that's laid up for me in heaven than to have all the treasures on earth that will rust, rot, and just fade away. Wouldn't you rather have that? Jude exhorts us. He warns us. He urges us. He begs us. And it's almost like, and if I could get to you, I'd twist your arm to get your attention. To contend. Do not be content. But contend for your faith. Contend for your faith because you are in a war. As I was doing my study this week, I found that this word contend is used by the New International Version, the Interpreter Study Bible, the American Standard, the King James, and the New King James. All uses the word contend. But the message, the message says, fight with everything you have. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Friend, that's war to me. Sometimes I, I let it slip and if you're really good at math, you can figure out how old I am. My, the first boxing match I ever saw on TV, and now I'd been in a lot that I didn't win, but the first boxing match I saw on TV was in 1955, and it was Rocky Marciano fighting uh, Ezra Charles. I like boxing, but at my age, I can't stay awake for the entire bout anymore. March 8, 1971, in Madison Square Garden. This fight was billed or promoted as being the fight of the century. Have you ever wondered why the announcer always says, now, in the red corner? That night in the red corner, the contender. Ah, now you know where I'm going. 
the contender, Muhammad Ali. And from the blue corner, the heavyweight champion of the world, Joe Fraser. You see, the contender is always in the red corner. What is significant about that? <laughs> he ain't there yet. <laughs> He's hoping to be the heavyweight champion of the world. He's hoping to be the champion. He is still contending. At the end of that fight, by the way, it did go 15 rounds. Joe Fraser retained his championship, spent several days in the hospital, and Muhammad Ali had a broken jaw. Now that's war. And I use that to depict the war that we're in with the enemy. He wants to harm us. He wants to rob us of mercy, peace, and love. If you're saved, he knows that he cannot get your salvation. Remember I said misery loves company. He knows that he will not see you in hell. So then he wants to do everything he can to rob you of the joy of following the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am glad that Jesus never said to his disciples, now it's not going to be easy, guys. I'm glad he didn't say, now this is going to be hard to do. Because if he had said that, I might not have followed him. But it is hard to follow Jesus. The day today, our world today, is nothing like it was two years ago or three years ago. It's nothing like it was when I walked the streets of Pine Castle, Florida as a five or six-year-old kid without shoes. It's nothing today like it was even 15 years ago when we moved to Greene County. Well, actually, that was 30 years ago. It seems as though the world just continues to compete and that the enemy continues to rob Jude says there are no shortcuts that we must contend every day every hour every moment of the day We must contend for the faith that was once for all delivered unto all the saints. Once delivered. That means that it has not changed. That means that it can't be changed. Can't be added to or taken away from. The fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he came because God loved us so much. And that he gave his life on the cross of Calvary that he died for our sins, that he spent three days in the tomb, and on the third day he rose from the grave, and he ascended into heaven, and today he's seated there at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for the saints. Now, that is the faith that Jude tells us that we need to contend for. Do not ever get content 
of being where you are today. Always pray, Lord, I pray that tomorrow when I get up, I'll be closer to you than what I was in the last two minutes. That should be our prayer every moment of our life. Contend, hold on to your faith as a fact, because it is a fact. It's a promise, and every promise that God has made is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Contend for your faith because the world is competing for you. Contend for your faith because you are at war. Now here's the wonderful thing. Here's the wonderful thing about our faith. This is our book of faith. And you've heard this said before. I've read the last chapter. And I know that I come out victorious. 